Welcome back to Search the Scriptures. Great to be back with all of our listeners again today. And what a blessing it is that we can gather together each day here on Search the Scriptures and open up a little more from God's Word, dig a little bit deeper, learn a little bit more, and come a little bit closer to God as our faith in Him grows. Because, as we keep saying, faith comes by hearing the Word of God, Romans 10, verse 17. Some people think faith is just a gift from God. Well, why do some people have that gift then and others do not? Is God just, does God just give that gift to certain individuals and withhold it from others? Well, obviously, that's not what we should understand from the Scriptures. Faith develops as we get into God's Word, as we learn it, as we contemplate over it, understand it, believe it, and begin to make the proper applications to our lives. And that's what Paul meant when he said faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, or faith comes by hearing the word of God. So it is so important for individuals to get into God's word so that they can develop faith and that they can nurture and have their faith grow. Very, very important. So it's important for us to recognize that each of us has a responsibility to dig deeper into God's Word, to learn more, and to make the right applications to our lives. As your faith in God grows, you should naturally want to come closer to God and ultimately come to Him all the way, His way, through the teachings that He has communicated to us through His Word. As you come to recognize that Jesus Christ is God's Son and your Lord and Savior, and so Through him, you can come to God. As Jesus said in John 14 and verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And how do we come to God through Jesus? Again, we recognize that he is God's son, and we openly confess that our faith in him as God's son and our Lord and Savior, as Jesus said we must do in Matthew chapter 10, verses 32 and 33. We must repent of our sins, as Jesus said we must do in Luke chapter 3 and verse 3. And we must also surrender to him in baptism, at which point the blood that he shed on the cross cleanses us of the guilt of our sins, and we are saved, as Jesus said we must do in Mark chapter 16, verses 15 and 16. And then we must live that faithful life for the rest of our lives, until we die and meet our Lord at the judgment, as Jesus said we must do in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 10. So God's way for us to come to him is really easy to understand and is really, when you stop and think about all the blessings that go therewith, it's easy for us to to follow, to follow through on, and then to live in if we'll simply make our commitment to God through Christ. Now that is going to mean we have to make up our minds. That is going to mean that we have to stay committed and dedicated on a daily, faithful, consistent basis. But when you think about the alternatives, the alternatives being eternal condemnation in hell, cut off forever and ever from God and the glory of his power, there's really no comparison, is there? And this really helps us to stop and think about what we're studying right now in this particular series, talking about it's time to stop running from God. At the end of the program today, we'll tell you how to contact us, and you can receive a copy of today's program on CD for free. 
You can also receive a free Bible study through the mail, the regular mail, and again, it is free, and in both cases, we'll take care of the postage. So have a pencil or a pen and a piece of paper ready, and you can jot down that information in just a little while. It's time to stop running from God. As we got into the first couple sections of this study over the last couple of programs, we talked about how the world is facing a reality right now that ought to impress upon everybody that it's time to stop running from God. Now, again, this is a unique situation that probably none of us have experienced, even to a fractional part of a degree of what we're going through right now. Now, I know there are some countries that have faced plagues or epidemics in their particular lands, but this is a worldwide pandemic and it is also swept across our country, so it's an epidemic for us. And it's not just touched a few people, but millions of people. And there have been so many deaths. How long will it go on? We don't know. But God will deliver us from this. I have confidence in that. So, but this is unique in that not only have a whole lot of people been infected, and a whole lot of people have gotten sick, and a whole lot of people have died, those realities we have faced before in different epidemics and pandemics and plagues. The history of mankind is repetitive with such events, but this particular one has basically shut down the societies of the world and the economies of the world to a tremendous degree. We've not experienced that not in our lifetimes. So it's unique. It's, it's a time that, again, ought to cause us to step back and start reflecting upon where am I in my life? How have I been living? What has been my focus? Should I make some adjustments? Should I make some changes? And let me tell you, and I'm not saying this from a you know, a, a prejudicial or mean kind of judgmental perspective, I'm simply making a judgment call that is obvious. So many people need to change the focus of their lives. We have been caught up, especially in this country, but not just here, across much of Europe and some other parts of the world as well, in what can I get right now? What do I want? A materialistic, self-gratifying kind of mindset and culture. I want what I want. I want it right now. I want as much as I can get. And when I get this, I'm going to want some more. But it doesn't bring real happiness. It doesn't bring contentment. It doesn't bring fulfillment in our life. Not on an ongoing basis. People need to change their focus and they need to come to God. I have been praying every day, pretty much, that God will help people through what we're going through right now, through what most everybody is experiencing all across the world, that God will help them to open their ears to his word, open their eyes to the truth, and open their hearts to him, and so that they can come to him through Jesus Christ repenting of their sins, confessing their faith openly, and 
surrendering in baptism for the remission of their sins so they can be reborn spiritually, so they can start anew. It's time to stop running from God. Jesus gave the great invitation in Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30. He said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus offers us spiritual rest. He offers us the opportunity for eternal rest with him in heaven. Having eternal life, living in heaven with God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But you see, we have to come to him. That's the invitation. Come to me, he says. He also said that he who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather to me scatters abroad. In Matthew chapter 12, verse, verse 30. We talked about how Felix, the Roman governor, who was in charge as the apostle Paul was in prison under Roman custody in Caesarea, how he listened to Paul, and Paul preached to him, taught him and his wife about righteousness and self-control and judgment to come. And that touched Felix to the point of his becoming afraid and sending Paul away and saying, a more when I find a more convenient time, I'll call for you. Running from God, you see. Because Paul was simply preaching to him, teaching him the gospel. But Felix ran from that. Now, in, in his mind, what the decision he came to, he told Paul, go, go away. I'll call for you when I have a more convenient time. The text goes on and tells us that Felix did listen to Paul a number of times after that, but the text never tells us that he found the convenient time in his mind for him to obey God for him to come to God through Jesus and become a Christian. People keep putting off obedience. They keep running from God, at least they try to. And that's not going to work. You cannot run from God. We looked at Genesis chapter 3. We read through the text of how the devil came and tempted Eve to disobey God and eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God had warned Adam and Eve not to eat of that fruit, not even to touch the, the tree itself. He said that the day that you eat thereof, you shall surely die. Well, the devil lied. He said, oh, you're not going to die. But when they ate of that particular fruit, that would mean they had committed sin. They had entered into sinfulness, and sin separates us from God. So spiritual death became an immediate reality. But also, in conse further consequence, God removed them from the Garden of Eden where the tree of life was. And so they had no more opportunity to continue to eat of that fruit which would sustain their physical lives forever. So physical death became a reality. Now, the devil then also said, you become like God, knowing good and evil. Well, I can imagine how that might have played upon the mind of Eve and perhaps also Adam if she related that to him. 
before he ate, thinking, I can be like God? Well, the devil, again, told a half-truth there. He was deceiving Eve. She would come to know good from evil. She had never experienced evil before. She had never sinned. She had never seen the reality and the consequence of sin. Oh, but once she ate of that particular fruit, everything changed. She became a sinner. And then the devil used her to tempt her husband to sin also. And again, everything changed. The text goes on and says that God was there in the garden after that had happened. They heard him walking through the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid themselves from God. They tried to run. Well, God, of course, knew where they were. God, of course, knew what had happened. But he called to them, where are you? And Adam said, we were naked, and so we hid from you. And God said, who told you you were naked? Well, of course, God knew. But he wanted Adam to face up to what he had done. He wanted Eve to recognize the sinfulness of what she had entered into. And so God pronounced judgment. Everything changed that day for Adam and Eve and all of humanity because now sin became a reality in the consciousness and in the lives of mankind. And sin takes a terrible toll. Let's turn to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. We find another famous Bible character. Now, I believe that Adam and Eve repented after they were expelled from the Garden of Eden and lived a life faithful to God. I think the text, I think we can draw from the continued text in the early chapters of Genesis that reasonable understanding and belief. But they made a big mistake. And they found out you can't run from God. Moses, in Exodus chapter 3, was called by God to embark on a particular mission, and that was to lead the Israelites, Moses' bloodline, to lead them out of Egyptian bondage and ultimately to the land that God had promised to their forefathers hundreds of years before. Well, Moses immediately began proposing a long series of, in his mind, at least rationalized in his mind, reasons, what they really were, were excuses for his not being worthy or capable of doing what God was calling him to do. So God tells him in Exodus chapter 3, verse 7, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and large land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now therefore... Behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Come now, therefore, he's talking to Moses, 
Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Wow. That would certainly give me pause to think, perhaps to take a step back and kind of shake my head and clear my thinking. And so you might understand Moses' first response, from a human perspective at least. So the next verse, verse 11, Moses says to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? So Moses is, is expressing to God, I, at least our quick impression would be, I, I don't feel worthy to do this, Lord. How could I do this? Who am I that I could do this for you? serve you in this way, lead your people out of Egyptian bondage. Well, God responded, I will certainly be with you, and this will be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. So God tells Moses, I'll be with you, and this will be a sign. You're going to bring the people to this mountain, Mount Sinai, or Horeb, as it, is, as it is variously called. And there you will bring my people, and of course they would worship God there. But then Moses responds with another excuse. Moses says to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? So Moses poses another question for God. First, who am I that I should do this, Lord? And then second, when I go to the people of Israel, when I go to the leaders of that people, and I tell them that God has sent me to lead you out of this Egyptian bondage, who will I say sent me when they ask, what is God's name? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent you. So God is reassuring Moses all along the way. But Moses continues to come up with excuses for not going on this mission, for not doing what God has called him to do. In chapter 4 and verse 1, Moses answered and said, But suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say, the Lord has not appeared to you. So the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? He said, a rod. He said, cast it on the ground. So he cast it on the ground and it became a serpent and Moses fled from it. Then the Lord said to Moses, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. And he reached out his hand and caught it and it became a rod in his hand. Well, God gave Moses several signs to prove to the people of Israel that he really had been spoken to by God and that he really had been sent on this mission by God. Several signs he could show to the people. But Moses was not finished with his excuse-making. In verse 10 of chapter 4, then Moses said to the Lord, 
O my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. Well, he said, I, 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 Lord, I don't speak well. I, I'm not an eloquent man when it comes to speaking. I'm slow of speech. I'm slow of tongue. So the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Or who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore, go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall say. So God assures him once again, I will be with you. I'll take care of you. I'll help you with what you need to say and how you need to say it. But then we finally come down to the real bottom line. Because next, in verse 13 of chapter 4, Moses says, O Lord, please send by the hand of whomever else you may send. He finally got down again to where his thinking and his mindset was really at. Please, just send somebody else. Pick somebody else, please. Then we see the text talk about the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses and then he told Moses, Aaron, your brother, he's a good talker. He'll be your spokesman. And so Moses finally humbled himself and submitted to the will of God and went on the mission. And so Moses became a great leader of the people of Israel. And when we come to the Hebrews letter, in Hebrews chapter, 23, uh, chapter 11, beginning with verse 23, we read statements like this. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. By faith, he forsook Egypt and fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood. By faith, they passed through the Red Sea as, the, as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians tempting to do so were drowned. Oh, Moses became a great leader when he finally stopped trying to run from God and the mission that God had called him to undertake. You see, Adam and Eve learned you can't run from God. Moses ultimately learned you can't run from God, and neither can we run from God. God is always there, and we need to simply submit to his will. Let us pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for loving us and thank you for offering us the way to eternal life with you in heaven. Please guide us along that way and help us to never let fear hinder us along the path. Be with us always and give us the strength that we need and the guidance that we need to obey you and live our lives with you and for you for the rest of our physical lives on this earth and then forever with you in heaven. 
Please forgive us, gracious Father, and hear our prayer in Christ's name. Amen.